but yeah, so we we want to we want to engage in the word, and I don't want to belabor the time. I want to get right to it. Um, we're gonna pray, and after we pray, we're gonna read through Leviticus. We've read now through the entire New Testament together on TikTok Live, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament together. So we're reading through. Uh, we've read through Matt, uh, the New Testament. Now we've read through Genesis. We've read through Exodus. And now we're journeying through the book of Leviticus and we are in Leviticus chapter six. So I want you to turn there. I know, I know, I know, I know Vita. It's been, it's been so long that I've just forgotten. And the inhaler that I did have was already out. So, um, and I don't use them that often. And so, but I should have one on me at all times. So yeah, my my asthma is flaring up. So hopefully it, it doesn't give me too many issues today as we uh, engage. So if you hear me breathing heavy, you'll, you'll know why. So thank you for noticing guys. And, and thank you for caring and for checking in on me on that. Um, I appreciate that a lot. I really do. Um, and I appreciate you all. You guys have turned it, you guys have become family. So um, love you guys very much. And I'm just so happy that we're here together. And I truly believe that there's a transformative thing that's happening in our time together as we um, engage in the word of God. And so let's do it. Let's engage. Um, we're asking three questions here. The first question that we're going, going to ask is, is what is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning himself? The second question that we're going to ask is what is God revealing concerning people? What is God revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is, what is God revealing concerning me? You're going to ask that for yourself individually. What is God revealing concerning me? And that's how we're going to engage today. That's how we're going to engage in the word of God. We're going to pray and then we'll go, we'll press forward. Father, I pray that you would uh, be with me today, Lord, as um. I'm facing some physical challenges. And so I just pray that you would be with me today as we engage in your word. Father, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us who've gathered together to engage in your word. Father, I pray that you would lead, that you would uh, guide us, Father, that you would guide us in your word, that you would reveal to us what needs to be revealed. Lord, point out to us what needs to point out. Speak to us today concerning your scripture. While we know that your scripture has been written in antiquity, but Lord, that your scripture is profoundly contemporary. And so I pray that you would um, lead us, Father, in this word, that we would um, be revealed as to who you are, who you intend for us to be in our relationship with you and each other. And Lord, what you intend, that must change in us. And I ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Leviticus 6. Leviticus uh, chapter six. And we're going to look at verse one, Leviticus six, verse one. And it says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, if a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or about a pledge or about a robbery, or if he has extorted, extorted his neighbor, or if he has found what it was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely in any one of those things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen, the thing which he has extorted 
or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found <laughs> or all that um, or, or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value and add one fifth to it and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespassing trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any one of those things that he has done in which he trespasses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the burnt offering, the burnt offering, which shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall be put on his linen garment and his linen trousers shall be put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar. And he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it and it shall not be put out. And the priests shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Hmm. This is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer on it. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense, which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar for, for sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of it, Aaron and his son shall eat with unleavened bread. It shall be eaten in a holy place in the court of the tabernacle of the meeting. They shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord beginning on the day which he is anointed one tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it in the baked pieces of the, the grain offering. You shall offer for sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It is a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron. Hmm. Speak to Aaron and his son saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it in a holy place. It shall be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of beating. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. 
but the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. Leviticus 7. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they killed the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall and he shall offer from it all its fat. The fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priests shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Hmm. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in the holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers anyone a burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering, which he has offered. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priests who offer it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. Hmm. Verse 11. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers, anointed with oil or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil besides the cakes of his offering he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering and from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the lord and shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it till morning. And if the sacrifice of his, of his offering is a vow or voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed on him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. There's so much here. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanliness, an unclean animal, or an abominable unclean thing, 
and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the people, that person shall be cut off from the people. Hmm. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, you shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or goat and the fat of an animal that dies naturally and the fat of what is torn by the wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of an animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, that the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from the people. Hmm. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, he who offers a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the beast, he shall bring that the beast, sorry, the fat, I said beast, uh, verse 30, his own hands, he shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast, he shall bring that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall offer or burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Also, the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offering. He among the sons of Aaron who offer the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings. And I have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. This is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. Hmm. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai, on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Um... I think it's a good place for us to to sit uh, because what we're going to do is is uh, just to give you an idea. I am uh, I'm kind of timing this here. Um, this is we, we just concluded a section of the uh, book of Leviticus. And we concluded a section of it, and and now we are going to be shifting into another section of the book of Leviticus, which begins in chapter eight. So it just feels right to kind of just stop right here and just rest in some of the stuff that, that we've been, been talking about. 
um, and just to make sure that we're all on the same page as we enter into the next section. So I think this is a good spot for us to just stop. I know we read for about 20 or 30 minutes. We'll just read for 20 minutes today. Um, but this is a good place to stop because where we've stopped is we've stopped at the institution of the offerings, the sacrifices and the offerings that were made to God and the intentions <clears throat> for each sacrifice and each offering. If you notice at the end of Leviticus seven in verse 37, he tells us as he concludes that section, this is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations and the sacrifice of the peace offerings, um, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So this is all leading up to. So all this that has been written from one through seven is concluding here. And that verse right there is kind of a break point. Okay. That verse is kind of a break point there. Um, um, as they begin to shift into the next section of the book, what I hope is happening, because I, I think many Christians will at least admit that, that Leviticus is not a book you run to, right? Leviticus isn't a book that people run to. You don't, you know, people, you know, people love reading, at least Christians, they love reading Romans. They'll read that a lot, or they'll read Corinthians, first Corinthians, second Corinthians. They'll read that one a lot. Um, they'll read Galatians. Yeah, that's a good one. Galatians is a good book. Um, Ephesians. Oh my goodness. One of my favorites, you know, or Philippians or Colossians or the gospels. Those are really good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just the life of Jesus. That's good stuff too. That's really good. Um, or, you know, you'll read revelation. Well, a lot of Christians don't read revelation because revelation freaks them out because again, there's, there's, there's reason for that. Um, part of it is just because, you know, people have been taught a certain thing about how to read revelation, which isn't just read what's there, <laughs> you know? So, so revelation is another one that I think, um, uh, many Christians misread and misinterpret because they impose their own culture on the text rather than reading the text from that particular culture and the Psalms. That's right. Nina, people love the Psalms, right? I mean, we love the Psalms. They're prophetic. They're prayerful, right? People love the Psalms, right? You know, we'll, we'll jump on the Psalms. Um, but you don't see people just running to Leviticus, right? You, you don't see people, um, you know, running there going, Hey, I'm looking forward to reading Leviticus. <laughs> um, or I'm going to run to go read Leviticus because I'm so excited about Leviticus. Leviticus is a book that most people aren't very excited about. And and I think in part the reason why. And yeah, exactly. Some just run away from it entirely. Some, some people just run away from Leviticus entirely because Leviticus seems very uh, uh, dictatorial. It seems very legal. It seems very... Um, institutional uh, it's a bunch of laws laws can be boring if you're not a lawyer here that it gets really really boring right if you're studying laws and statutes and things of that nature and so it gets really boring for people and so they kind of just say you know what they'll move on from it another reason why i think people have an issue with leviticus is because people will read leviticus as if it was written to them 
or they read it in a confusion of whether or not Leviticus is written to them or not. And if, if Leviticus is written to you, then which part of Leviticus, because there's some parts of Leviticus that people bring up, like the Bible says, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And you shouldn't get, um, don't get tattoos. So you'll see that like there's a, you know, there's a scripture that they use there about tattoos or there's a scripture there that's about, about, um, a mixed woven and mixed fabric cloth, or there's a scripture in there about, so there's all this scripture about certain things. And then there's scripture about stuff that we're reading right now and the scripture about, so then the question is, is like, which ones do we take? Like, which laws do we take? Do we take, you know, I can't get a lineup. This is, I can't even get a lineup. I, I shouldn't even be trimming my beard. So how does that work? What should I do? Which, which ones do I do? Which ones do I not do? So people often, um, they read Leviticus and the problem is for most people is they read Leviticus as if Leviticus was written to them. Again, I'm, I'm going to keep iterating this over and over and over again, that you're not going to fully understand the richness and the beauty of the gospel and the implications of Leviticus until you read it with the right posture. Leviticus is not written to you. Okay. Leviticus was not written to us. It's not written to most of the world. Leviticus was written to a particular people. Leviticus was written to the children of Israel. Okay. So really our vantage point when we read Leviticus is we should be reading it from the vantage point of a person who's watching a story unfold concerning a particular people. <laughs> yeah, Rick, if people quote Leviticus for, you know, someone's tattoos or for other things that we see in the script, this is a misrepresentation. This is not whether or not I support or condone tattoos. We're not there yet. It's not the point. The point is, is that you can't use that verse. Okay. That particular scripture cannot be used because that scripture, at least until you understand that scripture, that scripture can only be used within the context first and primarily as a set of rules and a law that's being instituted for a certain people. Okay. So therefore, uh, when studying and make you Israel, studying it doesn't make us Israel. No, not at all. Not at all. As we'll talk, well, we already talked about this um, in prior reading rants, in in God instituting a new nation. But that's 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 another conversation. I want to stay here for a moment. So now, so now when we read the text, we don't read it as if it's written to us first and primarily. We read it as a letter that is written to the children of Israel. Once we understand the implications of these laws that are being instituted to the children of Israel, then we'll understand the purpose by which it applies to us. Let me say that again. I, I know I don't want to go full Bible study on you guys today. That's not my intention. I don't want to do a, a Bible study, but I do want to at least help you understand how you ought to read the text because I feel not. I feel I know, and I've seen often over and over again, people reading this text and they read it with the improper context. And so in reading it with the improper context, they misrepresent the text, they misinterpret the text. And then there's all this argument and debate. So let's back up. 
The book of Leviticus was written to a peculiar people, to a particular people at a particular time. Yahweh, Yahweh declared them to be their, that he would be their God and that they would be his people. I'm not talking specifically about exegesis. I'm talking about hermeneutics. There's exegesis in hermeneutics, but I'm talking about our hermeneutic, how we read it, through what lens do we read it? Because if we read this text through a self-centered hermeneutic, we're going to read this to know what are things I need to do in order to be a child of God. Anybody understand that? What do I need to do in order to be a child of God? When you read it with a self-centric hermeneutic, it's which one of these things do I do? How do I do this? How does this apply to me? What are things I need to do? What That is the improper hermeneutic to read this through. The lens by which we ought to see this through is through the lens of a people who are seeing a story transpire of the children of God and to see how God worked through them and the implications of what God did through them for us today. Does anybody understand that? So if we're going to read it, um, again, this is the grand story. Appreciate you too, brother. If we, if we read the story, the grand narrative from the beginning, the, 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 this fallen world, God's restoration or God's plan for restoring this fallen world was through a particular people through Abraham. He calls, he called Abraham, made a covenant with Abraham and said through him, many nations would be blessed through Abraham. Many nations would be blessed. It is through Abraham. Now that through this bloodline and through covenant, through the covenantal bloodline that God would restore all mankind to him. Okay. So therefore we have Abraham, Abraham begets Isaac, Isaac begets Jacob, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Notice he follows through a covenant, a covenantal bloodline. That's why Ishmael didn't particularly fit within that bloodline. Ishmael got the blessings of Abraham, but he didn't get the covenantal um, uh, um, calling of Abraham to be chosen by God to be what, what God tells Abraham to be a family and a nation of people that would bring righteousness and justice to the world. He calls a particular family of people to bring righteousness and justice in the world. Okay. Righteousness and justice to the world. Then he further expounds on that. When we read through Exodus and when God reinstitutes the covenant, when in Exodus, we have a people who went to Egypt and fell under the bondage of the Egyptians because they stayed there too long. They became a nation there. The children of Israel became now a nation of children. And this nation of children now leaves Egypt, right? They've, they've been delivered out of Egypt and they're returning back to the promised land. And upon their journey back to the promised land, we find them here in the wilderness. We find them here in the wilderness and God reinstitutes this covenant with these people. Remember, we're stepping back for a second. 
We have to. Okay. I want to make sure you understand. You, you have to step back and, and read the story through so that you can understand what the implications of the story are for us today. Understood? So these people, these people now have reinstituted their covenant with God. God Yahweh declares himself to be their God and that they would be his people by the contract, by a blood contract, a covenant, a deal, an agreement. They agreed to be the people that God had called them to be. And through the sealing of this contract by blood, God has now instituted them as the chosen people of God to be, watch what they were chosen for. They were chosen to be a nation of priests. Go back to what we read before. I'm not telling you anything that's not there, okay? This is what we've been reading, okay? This is what we've been reading all the way through. So they've been chosen to be a nation of priests, meaning they've been chosen to be a nation of mediators, They've been chosen to be a nation of imagers of God. They've been chosen to be a nation of representatives of God who would fulfill God's agenda on earth. Make sure you understand that they are a nation of people who were called to fulfill the agenda of God on earth. They were called to represent God, to show the world what God looked like or what God looks like. Are you, are you guys understanding me? So therefore, their being called as a chosen people was not a calling. You're gonna, I'm going to sound like a broken record here because I want to make sure everybody gets it whenever they come on here to get it, that when God calls them as a chosen people, their being chosen was not a matter of economic power. It was not a matter of, of political power. It was not a matter of economic or political or sociological influence. It was a matter of profound sacrifice to be a nation of priests that would represent God everywhere they went to bring Eden on earth, to bring the representatives of God on earth. The children of Israel were called to be a nation of priests and what would shape them out. Watch this now. What would shape them out to be that nation of priests is the enacting of this law, the performing of this law. God gave them the law in order to fulfill God's agenda of renewal and restoration on the earth. Stay with me. Stay with me. He gives them, he gives them the law. He gave them the 10 commandments, the children of Israel. He gave the children of Israel, the Mosaic laws, the institution of the laws that we see. And he gave the children of Israel Leviticus. Okay. He gave them the law. We, we have to, we cannot remember. It's not to say that it does not apply to us today. We just do not apply it in the same way. Okay. We have to back up. This is not a story about you. 
me say that again. I know this might rattle some people, but I hope you're understanding what I'm talking about here. This is not about you. This is about what God is doing for all of humanity through a people that he's doing it with. Again, this is not about you. Okay. This is about God. This is about God's work to restore the 10 commandments. Sorry, to restore the people of God, to restore the family of God, to restore humanity. And he's doing it through a people. And so the 10 commandments, these laws were intended to shape the people into becoming the nation of priests who are going to be the representatives of God on earth. That's where we are in the scripture. I'm not speaking about a specific religion. I'm speaking simply about what the scripture is saying. Because a lot of times, many religions have their own way of imposing what the scriptures say. But that's not what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about any religion at all, actually. I'm talking about the story of God and his people. And so the children of Israel, as we see in this narrative, God is doing a work for all people through these people. Let me back that up for a moment to help you understand something. From the beginning, God never intended to do anything on this earth. I have to make people understand that. That everything that God intended to do, he intended to do that through humanity. Human beings were to be the representatives of God on earth. Even today, if God is doing anything, he's doing it through people. That's exactly right. We are talking about the Bible. He's doing it through people. If God is doing anything on the earth, he's doing it through people who are who ought to be his representatives and these people were not they did not follow his agenda and because they did not follow his agenda god separated from them and this is why we see the world as it is today through the separation of god's agenda i want to i, I know i know you I, may sound like i'm belaboring on this but this is i'm going to bring you guys to the point that i want to speak into is it's our separation from god leaving god's divine agenda for us that has led to everything that is broken and lost in this world understood it's less it's led to everything that is lost in this world. So therefore what God is doing now is God is finding a way back to him. He's finding a way he's developed a strategy. He's developed a plan. God had a plan from the beginning and his plan. I love it because my wife was talking to me about this after the reading ran. His plan was the law itself. Make sure the law was written for us. It was not written to us. You <laughs> might understand that the law was not written to us. It was written for us. Okay. Meaning the 10 commit, all these things were to shape these people out to now be able 
to be representatives of God. They broke the law. And in breaking that law, again, it tells you the perpetual nature of who we are as people, that even when God chose them to be in him, when God chose them, those people, we're not talking about us yet. We're just talking about the children of Israel right now. When he chose them, they fell short. They made the deal with God and said, we will be shaped by your law. But then they did not obey and they did not follow the law. So what the book of Leviticus is about is about God's system of law that he has developed in order for us who are unrighteous people to be reconciled to a righteous God. The big conflict family is how does a perfect righteous and even more so holy God. How do we as imperfect, unholy, unrighteous and sinful people, how do we come into the presence of a holy and righteous God? People have said, well, the law is what kept us from God. But what if I told you that the law is what brought you to God? <laughs> um, when, when, when Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, his fulfillment of the law is what brought us into relationship with him. We'll get there. This is all leading up. You have to understand family. That, that we have something better. I'm going to keep saying this as we read this. That's why you cannot, family, you cannot read Leviticus and read it as if it applies to you because you have something better than what the children of Israel have. I'm going to say that again. You have something better than what the children of Israel have. Therefore, if you want to understand the profound work that Jesus has done on the cross, we have to get out of, I, I, this is the issue, guys, and, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm all over the place. That's what I do. I'm ranting. So just stick with me. I got nothing planned. I just go where the Lord is leading. But, but we got to speak into this, that often we, we profoundly diminish the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We profoundly diminish the work that the Holy Spirit does. We profoundly diminish the profound work that God does because we don't fully understand the profound complexity of God's law. Like we throw things aside. Like we just kind of go, well, we just throw the law away. Well, no, we don't throw the law away because the law is the reason why what Jesus did on the cross was so powerful. It's, it's, it's the profound um, the profound complexity of the law explains to us the profound holiness and the complexity of who God is and how important that is for us to understand the power of what Jesus did on the cross. So we, 
and I and this is I've been here before where I've read Leviticus and I used to read through numbers and I used to read through Deuteronomy and be like, well, that's not for us. It doesn't apply to us. And so I used to be I was that guy. I'm just going to just throw that out there. I was the guy who said, let's spend more time on the New Testament. Let's spend more time on Jesus and his love. Let's spend more time on that because, you know, that stuff is is really what matters. That other stuff doesn't matter. That used to be my posture. And I remember this was maybe maybe two or three years ago. No, maybe more now about four years ago, I was reading through the Bible again, because I try to read through the Bible at least two or three times a year. Um, But I was reading through the Bible again, and I got to the book of Leviticus, and I went, and I just, I became incredibly repentant of how I've been reading the Pentateuch, and how I've been reading through um Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, how I read through the prophets in the Old Testament. I became profoundly repentant. And I spent a day just apologizing to God because I used to read Leviticus like that stuff don't matter. That's the that's the that's that's the law. We're not under the law, we're under grace. Like I used to say stuff like that. And then I realized by doing that, I significantly and profoundly, profoundly diminished the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I had to go back and say, okay, let me read this again and let me read it right. Let me read it right. And as I read it, I began to see that, no, this was all the law. No, we're not under the law because Christ fulfilled the law. But we need to know what Christ fulfilled to understand the profound power of the gospel. You know, the thing is, I'm sorry if I ran for a minute. You know, the thing is, the thing is, is that we talk about the gospel, but we don't experience the power of the gospel. And I think the reason why we don't experience the power of the gospel is because we do not understand the the depth and the importance of the law. We don't. And because we don't understand the importance of the law, when we say we're free from guilt, we're free from, these are all, all these things are true. But what does that even mean? So when we read Leviticus, Many people read Leviticus like it's for us. No, it is not. No, sorry, that it's to us. The answer is no. Leviticus is not written to us. But when we understand the implications of Leviticus to the children of Israel, then we'll understand how that applies to us. Because Christ did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. So what is the law that he fulfilled? That's what we're, that's what we're bringing. That's the journey that we're going through. That's the journey we're walking through. Amen. (laughs) Okay. So where am I going with this? And I just want to reiterate what I spoke about yesterday is when we read Leviticus, we read it. And what we see is, is we see that God, the narrative started this God, Yahweh, Yahweh is holy. Holiness is not perfection. 
Holiness is not how perfect you are, how sacred you are. That's not holiness. Holiness is uniqueness. That's it. Distinctness is to be set apart. And there's nothing like Yahweh. Right? Psalm says, who is like the Lord our God? There is nothing like Yahweh. God is holy. And because he's holy, everything that's in God's presence must be holy. Because if something is, if God identifies himself with something and that thing isn't holy, then God ceases to be holy. So God, who is holy, the author and the creator of all things, this, this, this God who is the creator of all things that exist. If God is holy, then everything that he's around must be holy. Therefore, if we who are unholy and unrighteous and sinful, if we are unholy, how can we get in the presence of God? How is it possible? for us to be in the presence of God. We see what's happened in the story family, that the children of God were given a covenant that if they were to follow this covenant, they would be able to experience the presence of God and be images of God everywhere they go, representatives of God everywhere they go, where the presence of God would be with them everywhere they went, and they would establish the kingdom of God, a kingdom that would bring heaven to earth. That wouldn't look like any other kingdom. And yet they broke it. And while they broke it, the book of Leviticus is God's plan about how these people can enter into the presence of a holy God. Did you hear me? The book of Leviticus is the story and is a letter and is a, we called it the blueprint yesterday. I'm going to stick with that. It was God's plan, God's blueprint, God's law to bring an unholy, unrighteous people back into the presence of a holy and righteous God. I'm sure none of you have thought of revelations that way. And yet that's what revelations is about. Sorry, um, Leviticus. I bet many of you thought that have never thought of Leviticus that way. And yet that's what Leviticus is about. That's what Leviticus is about. Leviticus is about how the sinful people can be reconciled to a holy God. So it's a law that brings us back to relationship with God. Stay there, fam. It's not a law of what to do and not to do, but a law that brings us back into relationship with God. Hmm. And the way that God institutes this law and the system that God has developed for this law was a system of sacrifice. 
<laughs> did you did you hear me? That the system that God uses to bring us back into relationship with him, because God now has to declare us righteous because we can't be righteous in ourselves. He declares us holy because we are unholy. And what God does is, is God develops a system for how we can be holy. God has to count our sin as zero. That's on God. That's not on us. God has to count our trespasses as zero. God has to forgive us of our debt because our debt is in his hands. Did you know that if somebody owes you something right now, you know you can just forgive them the debt and the debt goes away. Now you can choose not to forgive them. I understand that. What I'm saying is it's on you to choose that. Imagine somebody owed you $100 and you walked up to that person and you said to that person, hey, just, um, you know what? Just make me a grilled cheese sandwich. If you make me a grilled cheese sandwich, you don't owe me money anymore. Who are you to say to that person? No, no, no. I still owe you the money. Tell me what else I need to do. Tell me. No, all I'm saying is give me a grilled cheese sandwich. If you give me a grilled cheese sandwich. Then you don't owe me anything anymore. Don't worry about the hundred dollars. All right, let's make it even bigger. Let's say you owed somebody 30 grand. You walked into their apartment or at their home and you say, hey, listen, I still don't have it. I'm working on it. I've been trying to get the money. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to. And the person says, "Okay, here's what you need to do. Make me a grilled cheese sandwich. And you say to that person, what do you mean? Make me a grilled cheese sandwich. If you make me a grilled cheese sandwich, then you don't owe me 30 grand anymore. Who are you? Watch this now. Who are you to say to that person, that's not good enough. That doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't agree with that. It can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. Who are you to tell that person? I won't accept that a grilled cheese sandwich is the only thing I need to do to be forgiven of my $30,000 debt. But it's up to the person that you owe the debt to. <laughs> We'll get there, Jason. It's up to the person that you owe the debt to. Oh, sit on that, family. Sit on that. Sit on that. The person that you owe the money to is the one that determines the terms of how the debt can be paid. The person that you that needs the forgiveness is the one that determines the terms of the forgiveness. Did you know that? You can ask somebody for forgiveness right now and the person can say, I don't forgive you because that person is the one that determines the terms of the forgiveness. And yet if we've sinned against God, who determines the terms for how your sin is forgiven? God determines the terms for how your sins are forgiven. 
And the book of Leviticus is about the fact that God now is giving them the terms of forgiveness. Oh my goodness. The book of Leviticus is about the terms that your sins are forgiven. I didn't have this plan today, but I'm so glad God brought it to me this way because I want you to, I've been trying to figure out a way for you to understand what the book of Leviticus is about. And the book of Leviticus is about that specific thing. It's about the terms of forgiveness. And God gets to choose those terms. You don't get to choose those terms. You can't choose how to be righteous before God. You can't choose those things. So when we read again, this is why I say that the law is setting you free as well. The law doesn't condemn you alone, but there's another law that sets you free because the law that condemns is the law that also liberates you. Watch this. He says to them, these are the sins that are against me. And then once he says you've committed, once you've committed, notice what's happening all through Leviticus one through seven. These are the sins. Once these sins are committed, this is how they can be forgiven. God puts in it how forgiveness is, 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 is attained through the committing of the sin. Meaning from the gate, no one was condemned. Oh, this is gonna get tough. From the beginning, Noah was condemned as long as they fulfilled the terms of forgiveness. And the law that God is establishing to determine the terms of forgiveness is sacrifice. I hope this liberates somebody today. I hope this helps somebody today. I hope, I hope this, the, the terms of forgiveness is sacrifice. We have something better than they had, but let's stick with what they had. My Bible just died. My iPad just died. So I'm just going to keep on going. Just close this and just, just talk to you. Let's just talk. Let's just talk. The terms were sacrifice. He said, if you bring a blood sacrifice to him, you would be forgiven. That is God's terms. God gets to determine that. Sit on that family, sit on that. God gets to determine the terms of the payment. You don't get to determine those terms. God gets to determine those terms. And once you have it paid, you're back to zero. Your sins are forgiven done it's done now if your sins are forgiven today and you're at zero today and you go back tomorrow and let's say you commit the same sin guess what he can't use god cannot use heaven cannot use what you did before against you today. You come before God sinless with the sin that you just committed. And he says, well, I've got a sacrifice for that. They would come regularly with the sacrifices and the sins were regularly paid for back to zero.
Their sins are regularly regularly paid for by what? By a sacrifice. Again, this is the distinctness of God. This is the love of God. This is the grace of God that from the beginning, God put in his law the plan for how we would be redeemed. This is the law that Christ fulfilled. (laughs) There's some people right now who they're like, no, it can't be that simple. It can't be as simple as just come to God with a sacrifice. It can't be that simple. And yet it's that simple. It's that simple, Toby. It's that simple. Um, we're going to eventually get there. But when, when we read in Isaiah 64, when he says, I am the God who sees your sins no more. The moment they paid the penalty by the sacrifice, God erased all their sin. Zero. And what Leviticus is about is God is beginning to institute this. We can go through all the complexities of it, but we don't have time for that. That's that's a Bible study. I just want you to rest in that as you as you hear this. Because there's somebody right now who's coming before God and they feel like guilt and shame. And if you go to that person's house and you eat, you give them that grilled cheese sandwich and they go, all right, let me go and sign that paperwork. Boom. Your debt is zero. And they give it to you and you walk away. You can carry around the paper before that. I can't stop you from carrying around and I can't stop you from living like you still owe me something. I can't actually stop you from doing that. I'm going to make it plain. Let me make it plain. Let me bring it down. I'm going to stick with the grilled cheese. I'm going to call this I'm going to call this podcast episode grilled cheese. <laughs> if you give me a grilled cheese sandwich If you give me a grilled cheese sandwich and I say your debt is paid for, you don't owe me nothing anymore. And you walk away. What's left? Believing it. Did you catch that? What's left? Believing it. That's it. If I tell you that your sins are forgiven, if I tell you that you don't owe me $30,000. The only thing that's left is to believe it. Well, I need to be signed in paper. Okay, I'll sign it. But if I sign it in paper, do you really believe it? He might take me to court. He might come back for me. He might come back and ask me for that 30 grand. It can't be that simple. It can't just be a grilled cheese. Ready for this? This is where it gets even weirder. What if I had a grilled cheese sandwich on the table? I might get some grilled cheese later. You know what? I want grilled cheese today. 
That's what I want. I want grilled cheese for lunch. That's what I want. I got to find a grilled cheese sandwich somewhere. I want I want a grilled cheese for lunch. That's it. Done. Done. Plans. Done. Here's where it gets even weirder, family. What if you walk into my house owing me $30,000 and I have a grilled cheese sandwich at the table and I say, go get that grilled cheese sandwich for me and give it to me. If you can give me that grilled cheese sandwich, your debt is paid for. But I didn't make the grilled cheese. No, you didn't. But I, I didn't, I didn't cook the grilled cheese. No, you didn't cook the grilled cheese. I didn't even bring it here. No, you didn't bring it here. Actually, I'm giving you the grilled cheese to give to me. And if you could just give me, bring that grilled cheese sandwich over to me. If you bring that grilled cheese sandwich over to me, you don't owe me 30 grand anymore. So what do you do? You go over, you grab that grilled cheese sandwich, you bring it over to me. I sit and I enjoy it and I say, thank you so much. I love you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for the sandwich. So you know what? Go your way. But the reason why I use the grilled cheese sandwich that I already had and asked you to bring it to me to forgive you is because I wanted you to know you were forgiven. And what I really want is for you to feel okay with coming to my house at any time and not having 30 grand hanging on your head every time you come to my house. I love you that much that I just want to have a relationship with you, not to hold anything against you. So now what's left? Faith. Did you hear me? Faith. Either you accept what the debtor has told you or you don't. Either you accept that I'm saying your debt is paid for or you don't. But I can't change the reality of what I've said to you. God says, bring the blood sacrifice and your sin is paid for. You see, the children of God had faith in God to do it and to be liberated the moment that they did it. Knowing that they were free, completely free of whatever sin that they committed. That your debt has been paid for. So now, once you believe that, then you can actually be free. You know, freedom doesn't come in the fact that the debt is paid for. Freedom comes in the fact of knowing and believing that it's paid for. Did you hear me? Freedom is not in the fact that the debt is paid for. Freedom is in believing that it is. And when you believe that you owe this person nothing, then you can walk happily into that person's house, knowing that person will never hold it against you. But there are some people who won't accept that. 
There are some people who won't accept that their debt is paid for. They won't accept it. They won't accept it. So they they bring their guilt, their shame, who they've hurt, who they've offended, the sins they committed against God, and they carry all those things with them everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. They carry that piece of paper that says, I owe this debt. And they take the piece of paper that they were given that says that the debt has been paid for and they just leave it to the side. Because the reality is, is it would be a lot easier if I can just come up with the 30 grand myself and pay it back. Then I'll feel better. Because to accept that this guy is going to give me a grilled cheese sandwich that he's, that, he, that I'm going to just give to him. If I can hand him the gift of the grilled cheese sandwich that my debt will be paid for. I don't know if I can accept that. And the reality is most of the world wants to control their own destiny. But the children of Israel. And this is what the book of Leviticus. I hope everybody sees it now. And I hope you're seeing Leviticus differently. The book of Leviticus is God establishing his system of payment for the debt that mankind and humanity owes him. It's in the law. <laughs> the same law that condemns you is actually the same law that liberates you. That's exactly right, Jason. So he says it's a blood sacrifice. And notice again, because we're about to go to the next part. This is what we're going to be shifting into. And I want to spend some time in prayer. Notice that the sacrifice that you have, that God is asking for, you actually can't bring it to him. Because God is holy and because you're unholy and unrighteous, a priest had to go on your behalf. That's what we're learning here. Leviticus is telling us the whole set of rules here. He's giving us the system of payment. And he's saying, I want these unholy, unrighteous people in my presence because they're my people. But I'm a holy God and they cannot be in my presence. So I need a mediator who I've made righteous and made holy to bring their sacrifices so that I can make them holy and that they can be in my presence. So notice the system that we've seen for the first seven chapters of Leviticus. If these sins are committed, bring this sacrifice to the priests. The priests will present it to me and then your sins are forgiven. You commit these type of sins, bring this sacrifice to me, to, to the priest, the priest will bring it to me and your sins will be forgiven. If you commit all these type of sacrifices, I mean, these type of sins, bring this sacrifice to the priest, the priest will bring it to me and your sins will be forgiven because you couldn't come to God with your sacrifice because the moment you came into the presence of God with your sacrifice, God would be unholy and therefore he couldn't make you holy. So God 
imputed his righteousness on a priest who would who would be the mediator between God and man. Who would, that you could bring the sacrifice to that can bring it to him. That's Leviticus 1 through 7. In Leviticus 8 through 10, which we're about to read, is how were these priests determined? They were the Levites set aside to be the mediators, the priests who would bring the sacrifice to God. All of this. I hope this is helping somebody. Leviticus, all of this. Remember, we're reading it for to, that it was written to the children of Israel and the implications of that for us. So I pray this was helpful to you. I pray that you're beginning to understand Leviticus and I pray that as you read it now, you'd be encouraged to know that we have something better than they did. You understand? We have something better than they did. They had goats and turtle doves and ram. We have the pastoral lamb. We have Jesus. We have Jesus who paid for the sins of all the world. Ready? I'm going to keep giving you, um, I'm going to keep giving you the story all the way through. God is bringing his righteousness and justice, making all things right through a nation of priests as they've fallen short and they could not fulfill the calling of bringing righteousness and justice. God had to remain faithful to his promise that it would be through Abraham's seed that all nations would be restored to him. And so he needed to come and be what, what the what the Hebrews could not be. And through Abraham's seed came the Lion of Judah from the tribe. You, you hear me? The Lion of Judah, the son of David. Again, the line, the seed. He was the seed who would crush the serpent's head. Look at how that all comes around. He was the seed. He became the Hebrew. It had to be a Hebrew. He became the Hebrews that the Hebrews could not be to bring reconciliation to the entire world. Hmm. He became the priest and the sacrifice. He became the priest who would come to God with himself and be the sacrifice that paid the sins of all mankind. He was the perfect sacrifice. You're going to see now why Hebrews is so powerful. The book of Hebrews is so powerful because the book of Hebrews is instructing them why they did not need to keep killing oxen and keep doing all the things we saw that we just read. Why they don't have to kill goats and kill oxen and kill. They don't need to do any of these things anymore. Why? 
because the high priest has done it now for us all. And by one man's sacrifice, all the sins of all mankind have been paid for. So everybody's sin is going to be, it's going to really wreck some people. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to say something and I'm going to get myself. Just hold on to this thought for, 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 for Monday. Everybody's sin has been paid for. The sins of the entire world have been paid for. Everyone's sin has been paid for. The issue in the world is not whether or not we're good and bad people and whether or not we've sinned. The sins of all the world have been paid for. Every single person. Ready for this? They say, well, only for those who believe in Jesus. Wrong. The sins of the world have been paid for. Believing in Jesus brings that payment into effect. Faith in the sacrifice that was made is what brings that payment into effect. But the payment has already been made. <laughs> okay. Well, no, the payment is only good for people who believe. No, that's not true. The payment is good for everybody. The payment comes into effect for those who believe. Who accept it. That's it. If it didn't, the Jews have to come back and die for all the new round of people who now believe. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that don't really make sense, right? He had, he'd have to come back again and go, okay, all you guys believe now? Are you okay? All right, let me go ahead and do this thing again and die on that cross again. No, the payment has already been made. It is finished. God is not paying for anyone else's sin anymore. He's paid for all sin, past, present, and future. God wants something more than us being debt free. He wanted us to be debt free so that we can be in relationship with him. So if you simply accept that you're debt free, you don't have salvation. Oh, man. I'm ranting. I got to go. I'm, I'm going way over time now. If, if you only accept being debt free because you're debt free. That's not salvation. Did you hear me? Being debt free is not salvation. Having all your sins paid for is not salvation. Being guilt free is not salvation. <laughs> Romans 8 tells us in this salvation that they know you, the one true God. Salvation is actually having a relationship with God. Salvation is to know God. So you see what's wrong here is people are trying to be debt free and be being free from their sin. And God's like, I've already freed you of your sin so that you can be in relationship with me. <laughs> the question is, do we want that? Cause that's all God wants. God's not trying to absolve you of your sin and God wants more for you than trying to run from hell. There are people who just tell me what I got to do. So I don't go to hell. Oh goodness. Is that bad? I just don't want to go to hell. So tell me what do I got to do? So I don't go to hell. 
you're missing it. This is not about whether you go to heaven or hell. This is about whether or not you are in the presence of a holy and righteous God. Salvation is being in the presence of God. And what we should be doing is not running from hell. We, be, we should be seeking the presence of God. It's about relationship. Do we desire him? Do we want to be in relationship? Or are we afraid of him because of our sin? No, he's freed us from that. So I say this to people because I really want to reorient people. People get real thrown off when I say things like this. I'm just giving you Bible and you're going to read it all the way through. So don't, don't take my word again. Don't take my word for anything. We're going to read it. Okay. We're reading it all the way. We read it all through the new Testament. So if you guys were with me, you heard me ranting this stuff already, but now we're seeing how the new Testament is just the fulfillment and the unveiling of what we see in the old Testament. You're seeing it all there. It's all, it's right in front of you that God in Leviticus is establishing this, 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 this rule, this law, this system of how debt is paid for. And guys, I think that for most people, when they know that their sins have been paid for, it, it bothers them. And it bothers even people who are believers because they'll believe, but they only believe that, well, my believing and, and being a good person now is what, is what allows me to be in the presence of God. No, no, no. You, you live out of the grace that God gives you. So now when all sin is paid for and you say, no, your sins are paid for. You don't have to worry about that. Everybody goes... So then what do I do now? Believe. Okay, so okay, so then after I believe, what do I do? Believe. No, I know that, but then okay, so like um Leviticus 16 verse 1 or verse 7 says, you know, this thing about tattoos and about this and about that and about that, and I go. Believe. And I go, yeah, but what about the sins that I'm committing now? No, you believe. You just believe that your debt is paid for all of it. Okay. So if all my debt is paid for and all my sin is paid for and my sins past, present and future are paid for, meaning if I go and sin tomorrow, that sin is already paid for. Meaning I'm, I'm zeroed out. Now what? There's where people get stuck. Now what? For the people that see it as a license to keep sinning. Oh, if all my sin is paid for, then I'm good. But if you think that's a license to keep sinning, they've missed it. They're missing it. Why? They're missing it because they don't know why God did it. Did you, did you hear me? They're missing it because they didn't know why God did it. God didn't do it to give you a ticket to heaven. There you go. <laughs> God didn't do it to give you a ticket to heaven. That's what they miss. So they go, oh, great. Oh, good. I'm good to go. All right. Let me go ahead and uh, I'm... I'm a, man, I'm going to go in today. All my sins are paid for. And that's absolutely true. That never changes. But then you missed it. Did you ever turn around? Did you ever turn around to look back and to see why? 
Would God do that? For the person with the grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, I brought it back. There's somebody who will go 30 grand and you just you just asked me to go get a grilled cheese sandwich that you already have and just to bring it to you. One person can run and take it and give it to them and they're debt free and they run off. They run off. But as you're running off, aren't you thinking to yourself, why would Isaac just forgive me of $30,000? What's the story behind that? What's what's that all about? See, some people believe it. And they turn around and they come back. And they go, why did you want to do that? And that's when they'll, and that's when your heavenly father says to you, because I wanted you to be in my presence. And from that moment on, we live out the presence. There is no catch. There's no catch. There's there's absolutely no catch. (laughs) People are looking for that. They're looking for, okay, so now what? You're going to get me on the other side? No, it's paid. It's done. But salvation is not having your sins paid for. Salvation is knowing God. We're going to begin. We're going to continue to read the scripture from a Hebraic perspective. But when you read it, there's some things that you used to think where you go, hmm. Maybe, maybe that, maybe I was thinking that wrong. Like, you know, like the, 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 the concept of bad people going to hell. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a Christian idea. <laughs> that's not a, that's not a, 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 that's not a Christocentric idea. It's not a Christian idea. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. The idea of the bad people go to hell, the sinners, all the really bad sinning people are the ones that go to hell. That's actually not biblical. That's not Christian. They're going to be bad people who go to heaven. <laughs> and they're going to be good people that go to hell. Do you understand, family? What am I saying? I'm saying everybody. <laughs> oh, this is going to sound real reckless now. If if your sin is paid for, I'm ranting, y'all. I'm ranting. I'm sorry. If your sin is paid for, all sin, if the sins of all mankind past, present, and future are paid for. That means that hell is full of people who Jesus died for. Hell is full of people who are debt free. marinate on that hell 
is full of debt-free people. I hope you see where I'm going here. I hope you see where I'm going here, guys. We need to stop chasing after being debt-free. We are debt-free. We are all debt-free. How many of us are accepting it? How many of us remain in the house of God? How many of us remain in the presence of God? How many of us are like the deer that pants forth the waters and longs after him? How many of us, we receive that gift and we believe it. And in believing it, it transforms us to chase after him and to seek him. Ah, When you know somebody has paid your $1 million debt, you fall in love with that person. You fall in love with that person. To know, man, all my sin has been paid for by this person. I want to be in relationship with them. This is what salvation looks like. Are are y'all hearing me? Jesus already paid the price, but many will reject him. The people who will reject him. And yet they're going to hell debt free. We're changing the paradigm, family. We're changing the paradigm. I love y'all, fam. On Monday, we're going to, um, we're going to go into to uh, what is it? Leviticus chapter eight, and in Leviticus chapter eight through Leviticus chapter ten, we're going to talk about the priests now, that are the mediators who bring the sacrifices to God and what the priest should look like. So now you see that. So up to this point, grilled cheese sandwich, God's grilled cheese sandwich was a blood sacrifice. Now we're getting to the next part, (laughs) which is the person that brings it to him, the priests. And we'll see how all of this eventually points to Christ. Love y'all family. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would Lord, allow us to trust in you. Lord, not to question, Lord, your system of payment, but to believe in your system of payment. To trust that our sins have been forgiven and to live in the freedom of knowing that we can now fully enjoy you and to be in your presence. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would guide us each to you by your spirit, Lord, that you would lead us into your presence. I thank you for each and every person who's here. I thank you for allowing them to come and to spend this time in the reading and the ranting. And and Father, I just pray that as they continue to read your word, Father, that they would receive even deeper and clear understanding and revelation of your heart, your plan, your will, and your desire for your people. And I say that in Jesus' name. Amen.